Welcome back, everybody. This is season two of the Desi VC podcast, and I'm your host Akash Pat. It's great to have you here with us for another year of revealing conversations with leading investors investing in tech startups in India. We've got some great guests lined up who share some truly amazing insights about our diverse venture and startup ecosystem over the course of the season. And I want my first guest for the new season. It's Pratik Poda, principal at Nexus Venture Partners. Prior to joining Nexus, Pratik spent three years working on his startups in the social e-commerce and content marketing spaces, where he experienced firsthand the challenges of building a company. Earlier, he worked as a quant analyst and algorithmic trader at Morgan Stanley, and before that, as a private equity analyst at Blackstone. In this episode, we cover three segments: products versus platforms building for india and investing in up and coming sectors in the country but i hope you really enjoy your conversation cuz i had a blast speaking to pratik here we go pratik it's a pleasure to have you here on the show today i'm really excited to talk to you and deep dive on some of your investments so welcome to the show pleasure is all mine thank you for inviting me Let me begin by asking you this it's been a roller coaster year to say the least how has it been for you both personally and professionally uh, yeah uh, so akash 2020 of course has been a has been a uh, has been a big roller coaster uh, in all fronts uh, it's totally unexpected uh, what we what we gone what we have gone through uh, as as humanity uh, it seems surprising to me that even my parents have not had not seen this ever uh and and it was totally totally surprising i would argue on a, on the personal front thankfully uh most of us have have been safe uh and and uh, you feel you feel like thanking god for that uh just no no bad news is also good news uh in in such a situation and uh, and you feel you feel happy and privileged uh that you were able to go through this time uh and and hopefully it's only 3 4 months left and and we all go through these times unharmed um on a professional front of course as the as the year was starting it seemed uh, that this would be a very dark year for a lot of startups a lot of companies will shut down and so on uh, a lot of companies went through tough times but overall i think the the our portfolio has been doing better than you would have expected uh, we had been investing a lot of product first entrepreneurs uh, with with more exposure on content and tech uh saas um, and 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 commerce and and all of those companies did very very well uh in the last one year uh, I, i would argue that they were anyway supposed to be on that path in two three years but because of covid a lot of adoption accelerated and uh, and uh, and we have seen tremendous growth in a lot of companies so overall it has been it has been uh i would i would use the keyword uh, thankful and uh, and uh, thankful and uh, thankful for being thankful on the personal side and on the and the professional side i think i'm super super happy with how how the firm has performed uh, and how the ecosystem has performed in general over the past year it's great to hear you mentioned that your portfolio has performed better than expected right now in hindsight when you take a look at it obviously none of us could have anticipated a year like 2020 and we couldn't have done our portfolio construction keeping this in mind but do you think going forward vcs will start structuring their portfolios considering variables such as this or is this just one of those things that happens in a lifetime and people don't really think about it from a portfolio construction standpoint what kind of conversations are you guys having internally and what kind of conversations do you think or have you heard from your fellow colleagues at other firms yeah guys my bias is that all this portfolio construction etc just seems relevant post facto so i don't think we ever thought that we are investing in education or we are investing in saas or we are investing in developer tools but we ended up investing in an academy white hat postman hasura quizzes newton school a lot of good companies in these spaces uh, i think it's all post facto uh, you uh, you uh, our job is to just invest in exceptional founders who will iterate through the market uh, lots of ups and downs will happen but best founders will find a path uh and and create a company uh so i don't think uh, i don't think we we do portfolio construction that way and and i would assume that's the case with a lot of vcs that it's more about investing in the founders who would iterate through 
uh, tough times and come out as winners. That's a fantastic point that you made, and I've spoken to a many, many VCs on the podcast as well, and beyond that, and they've all mentioned the same thing. They've spoken about the strength of the founders and how they are able to navigate tough circumstances. Now, specific to you, when you speak to founders, what do you look at, and what are you, what are some of the signals that you get that gives you an impression that it's going to be a good investment opportunity, regardless of what the company is building? yeah so you know my my approach is uh, we, we are very very founders first and uh, my approach is to evaluate uh, a fit of the founder and the uh, and the problem uh, that starts by understanding why does the founder uh, want to solve this problem what is the motivation uh, that he has the other thing i am looking for is that most founders have exceptional stories by the way uh, most founders have exceptional stories on on how they how they reached to the problem or or how they have failed earlier in life so i'm always looking for that, for that exceptional story the third thing i'm looking for is at some level some 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 deep association with the problem and a mission driven attitude uh, and and i can i can list down all the companies that that i have been lucky to involve with and in each one of them uh, this was very very clear that the founder really really wanted to solve the problem uh, the fourth thing that i have been personally i have been able to associate myself better with is is product first founder i actually like founders who are not spending who are not throwing money at the problem or people at the problem i actually love founders who are who are thinking about problem solving in a very tech first or a product first way and these things just naturally get you to associate with the founders better my bias is that uh, that we might we might we might say whatever we want to at the end of the day it's a very it's a very uh, soft feeling and a very gut based feeling that when you meet a founder and and you say hey i want to work with him and i would i would give whatever i whatever it takes to make sure that i get a chance to work with this founder because because that exceptional founder trait is very very uh, is is very very rare and when you find someone you want to you want to make it happen uh, and and across the board I, in my mind whether it's whether it's patility or whether it's quizzes or whether it's newton school in across the board i sense these attributes very very clearly in the founders It's very interesting you bring this up because I've heard this from a few VCs as well. Now, when you're trying to validate um, false positive and false negatives, as well as come up, you know, look for the exceptional stories. How do you dis- differentiate between an exceptional communicator? Uh, and I'm trying to like pick out isolated incidents from you know global venture capital, looking at examples like Theranos. You know. you you have somebody who's able to convince vcs and is exceptional in terms of a from a communication perspective and then you have exceptional stories and real founders who are going out and building products for the real um, use cases how do you differentiate and protect yourself both as a fund uh, manager as well as somebody who's trying to invest on behalf of a fund against you know trying to get played by some of these uh, founders so akash i think in india market at least we have not seen as many instances of uh, of founders founders effectively effectively fooling vcs uh, i think the market ecosystem is 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 very small right now and i think i think i think we have we have done a good job as an ecosystem to be transparent about it and i also think that it's okay for a vc to make mistake uh, when he is investing uh, a few million dollars to begin with uh, we all will do some mistakes and and some of these exceptional some of these edgy founders might be too edgy and on the other side of the line and it would be a mistake but and it's okay to do uh, it's okay to do a few mistakes mm-hmm. by investment but i think what is a bigger mistake to do is after you have invested while you are working with the company and if you are seeing those red flags then not bringing it up is a bigger mistake which is uh, which i which i again i don't know exactly what would have happened in 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 theranos board but but i would argue that doing the doing investment in in such a founder is perhaps perhaps okay for the first round because it's 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 difficult to dif- difficult to understand which way it would go uh, but but i would be i would be i would point out a bigger mistake at the board level when you are managing the company on how it should have been done better i mean uh the limited context there's very limited context i would have about those companies but but outside in that would be my perspective and and indian ecosystem has been more uh, fair and mature that way that a couple of instances where such a thing has happened 
mm-hmm. uh, the early stage VCs or angel investors were were willing to flag it out and not have uh, one hat over the other hat, uh, uh, the passing on the hat over from one person to another and and trying to fool the ecosystem. Uh, that way, the Indian ecosystem has been more mature and fair. I'm glad you brought this up because it's a very good segue into one of the questions that I had, which I wanted to ask you at a later stage, but it organically has come up. I wanted to dig a little more deeper into the role of a principal because um, you know many of our listeners are very new to VC and learning about the nuances of the industry. Now, you spoke about the role that VCs play in the administrative side in terms of you know either they be on the board or they're very plugged into the ecosystem trying to understand how their portfolio companies are are performing even if they don't have a board seat by you know speaking to people who are sitting on the board and building a robust network. Now, from that perspective, what does a principal do? What is the typical role of a principal at a, at, at a VC fund? And how does your role really enhance, get enhanced in the larger context of things, especially putting the fund performance and the portfolio performance uh, in spotlight here? Yeah, that's a very good question. And I would, I would take this opportunity to define the process of the uh, i would define to define the life cycle of the of the of a of an in potential investment inside a vc firm right uh, so the job of the of anyone in the vc firm is really to source high quality deals build thesis on different spaces take bets like make calls that i want to put money in this company close the deal work with the founders and and help him and 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 help him in whatever way possible and take exits across the board everyone needs to work i think as you spend more time in a firm and as you become more senior your the the percentage of time you spend across all these uh, changes but fundamentally you are new, you need to create value across all these all these verticals to be really a full stack value add investor and 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 work done at one level leads to value at other right so if i am not sourcing and only my analysts are sourcing then i would not have a pulse of the market and perhaps i will not be an effective advisor to my founder so in true sense in my mind best investors are all full stack investors and we need to source and work with portfolio companies and have point of view it has to be done it has to be done end to end of course you can you should have a team to help you across but but all all investors should try and be more full stack in my mind so uh, moving on like in my mind like nexus is a vo- more bottom up investors so we are not we are not waking up every day saying that we want to invest in a few spaces and this is space we want to go after so we are not building top down thesis in general of course when we are meeting entrepreneurs and over time as we are developing point of view it ends up happening that we have developed uh, some some thesis but almost surely always almost surely it's always been more bottoms up uh, and and we and i strongly believe in it also because that uh, also because uh, best companies come out of spaces that really don't exist uh, and they are perhaps at a, at a in between two spaces and if i was looking for a space in general then i'll almost surely i will I'll, I'll miss out on a few things and bottoms up investing in my mind works better because because founders are the best judge if i was looking for something and i knew i wanted to invest in something then almost surely everyone knows about it and if everyone knows about it then 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 the arbitrage is not there uh, it has to be it has to be more bottoms up uh, in spaces where no one is looking at uh, and and that's where perhaps best investments will happen now uh, now uh, so so we are not as much thesis driven uh, while working with the portfolio founders i think i think i try and add value to my in my companies in three ways and i in generally i believe that this is this is the easier way to add value for any vc one is hiring i always have more access to in- incoming candidates because everyone wants to work with the diversity of portfolio i have and i can then based on the interests of 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 the guy and the requirement of the company uh, i can actually connect two people better uh, and hence i can add significant value in uh, in hiring in one of my portfolio companies uh, like almost 50 60% of the product and tech team has been built via our networks which 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 i take tremendous pride in i think that's the easiest way to add value i might not be the smartest guy in the room but i know i am able to add value uh, to the founders and 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 i can sleep well at night the second way to add value is uh, around fundraising again here most of the follow on investors are talking to me more easily than to the founder directly because i would have a range of portfolio to talk about and i can i can i can 
I can understand what they are looking at. I can understand what the late stage investors want to, uh, what type of companies they are more excited about, and then make the relevant connection. I can actually be the bridge between the founder and the late stage investor, and uh, uh, because because I can communicate in a different language, and I can I can I can provide a layer of trust in between, uh, which 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 will help the company uh, and the late stage investor both. Uh, so in my mind, hiring, fundraising, and strategic. Uh, perspective because just because i i, I have more uh, more i have more uh, i have a different vantage point by by looking at more global companies or by working with other companies uh, in india uh, i would be, i would perhaps be able to provide that outside in perspective to the founder which founders being more operational and very very deep might sometimes miss out of uh, and and it's a easy way to for me to add value so in my mind the three simple ways to add value are very outside in and and i know given enough input i'll be able to get that output for the founder and and it does not require me to be a uh, it does not require me to be a uh, to be uh, to to know a lot uh, at, at the end of the founder would know much more about his business than than i would but this is this is a simpler way for me, for me to add value and this is very high leverage and this helps the founder in multiple ways and and as as a person's career is evolving inside a vc firm i think the value from sourcing to thesis building to uh taking calls to closing deals to working with the founder to exits it just evolves over time as you become deeper entrenched in the firm and in the ecosystem um and and uh, and and over time uh, perhaps 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 raising money for the fund sector also becomes important uh, but 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 as a principle i think i spend most of my time working with the founders and and thinking about the strategic aspects of the company and and a lot of time uh, sourcing Uh, so that so that I'm I'm plugged into the market and I can find the best founders uh, to work with. No, thanks for defining that. That's a very very precise definition of the role and um, you know things that you do at at uh, from a day to day perspective. Now, one thing that I wanted to dig a little more deeper into was the bottom bottoms up approach to investing because many professionals investors employ a top down approach and i think um, you know me you know are also guilty of doing that not to say that one is better than the other but it involves making a prediction about the future uh, ascertaining its investments applications and then acting upon them this this approach is very difficult very risky and you got to be vulnerable to errors at every step right so practitioners need to accurately forecast um, macroeconomic conditions be very aware about things that are happening on a sector level to really understand the nuances so that you don't fall into the pitfalls of that particular uh, sector especially in a top down approach now from a bottoms up approach what are the merits that you have you know seen because you're deploying capital on a day to day basis by day to day i mean you know when building out your portfolio what are the pit, what are the pitfalls what are the challenges and what are the opportunities and what benefits have you seen personally from building our bottoms up approach yeah i think in very evolved economies uh perhaps top down could have been better uh because top down is required for you to have a strong point of view on on some spaces uh and you need to have very deep insights about a few spaces Uh, for you to even source those deals or understand those deals, I think India market is at 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 its infancy right now, and in true sense, we have to be more founders first because uh, because companies evolve much more than I would imagine happens in more evolved markets. Uh, in in India, and I think that's the advantage of being being bottoms up and founders first in India. Uh, that it's not that you knew. Uh, for example uh, we invested in 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 newton school when they were building a video q and a company uh, and uh, the founders are exceptional the founders we knew the founders because they worked at an academy uh, and we had believed that video q and a could work but over time as the as the as the founders built the product we learned that uh, the the product is loved but but the use case is very low frequency and because it's low frequency uh, the the retention is poor and it's difficult to build a company there however they they visualized that uh, that majority of the traffic is coming in the education space that people are wanting to learn uh, on in the video q and a platform as well and from there they pivoted and became a became newton school where they are providing uh, education to college kids and making them employable uh, now now did that could could i have could i have imagined that pivot no uh, but but would i bet on the founders 
uh, would I bet on the founders in whatever they do? Yes, and that's the that's the type of that's the type of thinking that's perhaps required in India market because the market is very market is market is very in its market is in infancy and evolving. That's a very good example that you brought up. Very similarly, um, I think Uber is a good example as well, right? For a company that is uh, that was built on a very bottoms-up approach uh, when investors first started looking at it. It's a perfect example of the plethora of opportunities that unfolds when early liquidity quality is kind of achieved. Is that something that you've also noticed with some of the portfolio companies that you mentioned? You mentioned something with uh, the Newton School. Is that true of the companies that you invest in as well? Yes, and that's what a lot of these a lot of these founders uh, are looking at. In in some cases, these founders are also imagining the world better after they take a few steps, and 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 that's the beauty of working with these founders, right? That you you start working with it from day one, uh, build it out, and as as they build out the first four five uh, steps of the stairs, then they start visualizing how large it can become. And uh, and in in markets that are not saturated, I think that's the approach that works better. And it has paid out in South Asia recently. Uh, it has of course paid out in China uh, 15 years back. I think in India we are at that stage, and that's why at least in India and South Asia, I'm more excited about about this approach uh, than 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 of course in global markets. I love this because I'm I'm constantly battling between you know top down versus bottoms up and what really is the best approach. Like I said, it comes down to the how the fund is structured, how it comes down to how the people are involved in it. I don't think there's like one better than the other, but it's good to have this sort of a debate and and understand how people from yes. different uh, investment spectrums take their approach, especially to building out portfolios as well. Now I want to add a layer of question that might be related to your to your role right now so you've been on both sides of the table you've been an entrepreneur you're now a vc dialing the clock back a little bit what made you want to pick venture capital as a career path after being a founder and how does your time as a founder play a crucial role today as you wear the hat of a principal so i worked at uh, morgan stanley quant group as a techie uh, after graduation, worked at Blackstone Private Equity for some time, uh, and then I went to my startup journey. I didn't imagine that startup would be so difficult. I actually thought uh, in those days Ola was being created and 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 Snapdeal was being created, and I thought that I could also do that. And uh, it was it was it felt to me that I was stupid that I was not being an entrepreneur. I think my motivations for being an entrepreneur were wrong. Uh, I was more excited about the idea of it uh, than about going through the uh, going through the pain. And secondly, I also think that I was perhaps not a company builder. I was more of a product guy. I actually wanted to build very cool products and and wanted people to use it. But I was not thinking about business uh, building at all. Uh, I struggled for three years building multiple products, doing freelancing uh, when I was out of money and and and. Uh, and uh, and switching co-founders and building uh, building multiple companies, so as to say, but everything really uh, failed and it was not working. Uh, I think uh, for for a lot of us who have who have grown with backgrounds where you just studied and got good marks and got in good colleges and studied and got good marks and got good jobs, etc. I think I was I was fortunately unfortunately never exposed to failures and life had never slapped me before that. Uh, and and my startup journey was truly truly humbling, and I could understand how difficult it is to build uh, to build a startup. Um, I say this often that uh, as a failing entrepreneur, you might learn. Uh, I don't know what you learn or not, but I'm sure you become a you become good at being being a philosopher. And I actually I actually can feel for the entrepreneur's pain, especially feeling entrepreneur's pain, uh, and 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 the personal and the personal uh personal small small personal uh pains he goes through every day about how how everyone around him fe- feels how does he go about going out for a movie and uh, the small small thing i can feel the pain for that uh and i think that that helps me have the empathy and be 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 more real and connected to the ground uh i can associate with the employees a lot uh, of of startups on how to convince them to join or what would motivate them to work in a company i'll be honest my experiences because i did not scale my startups 
I don't think as a VC uh, that I do have those ex- uh, my startup my experience as a startup helps my companies because my companies need my help more in understanding how the companies how how the org needs to scale or how how series C needs to happen and so on. I have of course learned that by 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 the virtue of being closely associated with some some fast scaling companies at Nexus and and being a part of them since since day one. But uh, but my startup experiences don't teach me that. My startup experiences really help me with one small thing, and that is empathy. That I can actually I can actually sit down with the founder and associate with the pain he's going through, uh, and and the and the aspirations he has, and the and the reasons he did he does what he does. Uh, but but beyond that, I think it's all learning as a VC over the past six years at Nexus. I love that because that's something I think you and I both share in common. You spoke about the empathy factor, and from my perspective, both time as a founder definitely helps for sure. But one thing that I think is incredibly valuable, especially when I work with very early stage founders, especially first time founders who are part of the portfolio, is that I share my negative experiences as as being either part of a founding team or part of early stage companies and how not to build companies. And if I recognize those, I I bring it up and I say and and I sit down with the with the founders and I have conversations and share instances and anecdotes about what went wrong and how I see this could really Im- impact them in the long run. So I think the negative experiences that I've had is extremely useful for me when I speak to founders today. Not that they they don't know it or they don't need, but it's especially when the first time founders are building out companies. Sometimes they don't see it because there's so much happening around them. And if somebody is able to like put a hand around their shoulder and have a conversation about how not to build certain things, especially we spoke about hiring. Hiring is extremely important. That's something that we provide a lot of value as well. If I'm able to like provide some insights from my time with any of the companies that I've been with, or the companies that I founded, and talk about hiring and how not to go out and hire the best people, I think I'm th- I think I'm doing a a decent job as a VC in sharing those things. If I'm not able to provide practices, I can at least provide what not to do in order to, you know, not, not fuck up. <laughs> Completely. Completely. And, and just being there, I think, you know, a lot of founders uh, would call me uh, not, not portfolio founders, but even outside uh, Nexus portfolio, a lot of founders will call me on co-founder conflicts uh, and, and what to communicate to the, to the investors, uh, what to communicate, how to communicate to the investors, how to communicate to the founder, to the co-founder, etc. I think a lot of that, a lot of that empathy of understanding both the parties, uh, it just comes based on based on your experiences, and it it it's uh, I, I take pride in the, those experiences uh, that that I'm that I'm able to add value in the ecosystem because because of because of the small small things I have seen. Uh, but but hey, my I was not really building companies. I have to understand that I was really building products and none of them are going uh, at least the first few not, not, not going anywhere. Again, I mean, you've been organically bringing up some great points, which creates like segues into topics that I wanted to go into. You brought up products. Now I wanted to explore three segments over the course of this episode. And one was products versus platforms. And I want you to talk from your, you know, your experience as a founder, as well as, you know, the companies that you've invested in. The second one is building for India and lastly, investing in up and coming sectors, which is something that we initially touched upon, which kind of was part of the bottoms up approach. Now let's begin with the first platform versus products. You know, many firms today are trying to become not just product purveyors, but also platform providers and Apple and Amazon kind of have, you know, traditionally paved that path. You're seeing bigger tech companies also do that with, you know, Google, uh, Google's and Microsoft's of the world facilitating direct connections between customers and other groups. For years, we saw Microsoft lose ground to Google, but it's made a major comeback in the last few years as a platform trying to inject new life into its office and productivity suite of products. It's not easy to make that switch, right? For every company, Microsoft is a bigger company. It has scale, it has resources, it has capital. Now, Indian startups will soon start facing similar issues as they age, and they come up with competition in the industry. Now, I think this is more of a five-year down the line sort of a question, but how can founders of today think about this problem of converting products into platforms, in your opinion? It's a challenge, but how can they think about it? How can they address that? Yeah, it's a very, very difficult question. And of course, I cannot have a, uh, I cannot have straight answer to that, but I'll just share my perspective on how I would have thought about it how I would brainstorm with the founder. Uh, 
Sure. See, at the end of the, the, end of the day, in my mind, the definition of a platform, uh, like I think, I think uh, Shopify founder talked about it that way, or Bill Gates talked about it that way. The definition of a platform should be that people who are developing on the platform uh, should capture more value than the platform itself. And if that is happening, uh, then then the platform is really creating value uh, in the long run and will be sustainable. Uh, so in my mind, platform has two aspects. One is the one is the uh, one is the one is the supply on the platform, and the other is distribution on the consumer side. A lot of Indian companies today are gaining that distribution, and and we are controlling the demand side uh, better than the better than our global counterparts. On the supply side as well, if you look at if you look at um, uh, say for example Misho, uh, we con- Misho controls the supply better than any global company could have, because at the end of the day, it's very difficult to understand that customer base uh, and understand the nuances of uh, understand the motivation of both the supply and demand in Misho. So, it, of course, global companies will come to India and try and capture a lot of market share, uh, and and they have they have put in a good fight against Ola and Flipkart and Snapdeal and. And 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 they have garnered significant market share, but I would give credit to Indian entrepreneurs there that despite pumping in so much money uh, uh, and 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 uh, and using all the uh, tech that have been built uh, uh, and 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 the cost cost of which is amortized across the world, uh, Indian founders have done a great job finding fighting with that. And the reason for that is both the demand and supply are very unique, and people on the ground are perhaps better suited uh, to win that. Of course, that also means that in some spaces we will lose. In some spaces, it does not make sense to build uh, uh, an Indian, an Indian, uh, Indian player uh, or platform because we are we are an open economy and we will use global products. The outcome really for the for for, for the the outcome this this has for the entrepreneurs is that we need to build globally competitive product and win on our strengths. Understand the nuances where we have truly differentiated become either more full stack and become more integrated and ensure that we are adding more value to our to our suppliers and our customers and and become a become a more fully integrated fully integrated platform you know, if you think about it uh, alibaba really was a platform that won against all the global platforms that came to china it was not only because uh, it was it was a closed economy it was also because that uh, they, they understood the china market better similarly all the indian companies i see succeeding as platform plays are really companies that are uh, are really companies that understand the consumers much better. Unacademy as a platform, uh, it's in some sense. I, I just remember when we met them first. We talked. We uh, we uh, like one one crude one crude analogy was it's YouTube for education or it's Udemy of India. Unacademy today is 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 larger than anything any any it's any other it. education platform out there, right. and and it's on the same order of. Valuation as Udemy, etc. Uh, and Unacademy, perhaps because the market is larger and and the market is deeper in India, would perhaps be larger than any other uh, any other education platform across the world. Uh, but but that happens because the founder under founder has built a globally competitive product. The, the product is perhaps better than any product out there in the world. But on top of that, he understands the psychology of the customer in India, the student in India. What is he thinking about? What motivates him? the the brand messaging is very is very is very edgy the brand message the 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 way they onboard and treat the teachers with uh, the way they onboard the teachers and 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 treat them is very different than a platform global platform does and that's how an academy is scaling and perhaps will will be a will be a will be perhaps one of the largest companies uh, created uh, from india uh, and 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 all this requires very nuanced understanding of the of the uh, of the of the market on the ground, and of course, global players will win a few things, but but we have a large opportunity for us to grab. Do you think it's still early for India to be thinking about platforms versus products, and you know, just focus on products? Because for a long, long time, we were criticized as the market that can't build products because we were a services country or looked at from a services uh, exporter. Today we are building products both for global as well as domestic markets, and as you said, you know we are building it as good as anybody else. And platforms, in my opinion, will also make will also have a similar trajectory for a simple reason because pro- platform or products produce a single revenue stream, while platforms 
um, as we define, you know, has intermediary and connecting multiple groups of users enable direct interaction and therefore generate a lot more revenue. Is it too early to be thinking about platforms or are we seeing that shift because you talked about an academy, which is kind of like hit that point where it's today a billion dollar company valued beyond $2 billion. It has so many users in India. Maybe they're thinking about expanding globally uh, or even or making, uh, they, they probably are global, but they're thinking about capturing a larger global share. Is that when we start seeing companies take on the whole notion of building platforms? And because India has not really hit that point, we haven't seen that happen. But in the next couple of years, we'll start seeing many more companies starting to do that. Yeah, I think it's more about articulation. In my mind, uh, in my mind, we already have a lot of platforms in the country. Mm -hmm. uh, and like in our portfolio, I would argue uh, Postman, uh, global platform, but built out of India. Mm -hmm. uh, Postman, of course, is a, is a, is a, is a, is a fantastic developer platform. Uh, mm -hmm. which 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 majority of the developers in the world are using snapdeal is an e-commerce platform where 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 supply and demand are 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 are, are meeting and 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 the developers are creating on top of it uh, and um, and and ecosystem players are working on top of it right so uh, i would argue snapdeal is a platform an academy of course as we discussed is a platform so we are already seeing a lot of companies being created in that vein uh, and and like we talked about Misho, of course is a a fantastic platform and it is it's it has it has it has whatsapp was a distribution layer but everything on top of before that mm -hmm. uh, Vishu has been able to modelize and 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 create a lot of value so in my mind lots of these companies have already been created which are true platform plays right uh, and uh, and 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 over the next years we'll we'll only see more companies being created uh, if you're talking about developer platforms uh, yes india developer platforms has the, all the companies that have been created as developer platform plays from India have been more global uh, because, because that's a larger market and money is to be made there. And, and there's no reason an India specific developer platform will be created, will be always, be, always be global. But, uh, but, but as, 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 uh, as vertical platforms, we have already seen a lot of reasonable successes in India and, and I'm sure there are more to come. That, that's a good point because I by no means was intending to imply that we don't have enough platforms and I wasn't intending to imply that moving to platform will revive a struggling product because you still have to build a, a good product for you to go out and build a better platform on top of that. And that goes back to a, the initial yeah. point that you made where you know products are really important and founders who understand products are going to be the ones that end up, you know, being successful and building successful businesses yeah. that can then have, you know, a global play. And uh, yeah. that kind of is a good point. Now, speaking from that perspective, you know, just want to take a slight deviation and moving the focus to building for India, because we spoke mm -hmm. about domestic products, we spoke about companies and founders building and understanding the nuances of building for the country and understanding the cultural nuances and everything else that kind of falls in between that. We hear this all the time that building for India, building for India, building for India, it's become a fancy phrase at this point that gets thrown around way too much. Yeah. Yeah. This, this might be a two-part question, but I'd like to put, a, put, put, put this across to you from both a VC perspective, as well as, um, you know, if you could put your entrepreneur hat on while answering, it would be great. What don't founders and VCs of today understand about building for India? Like the bigger challenges, we're not just talking about the cultural challenges. We're not just talking about understanding your market. We're talking about both from a from 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 a bigger perspective, a thirty thousand view perspective, as well as you know on ground. What don't they understand? And when you speak to founders who you don't end up investing on, what are some of the reasons that you don't invest in them from a building building for India perspective? Good question. Uh, yeah. So I think you know. Uh, for a majority of the spaces, at the end of the day, we are we have to understand we are that we are an open economy, and we have access to all the global products out there. I think a lot of times when founders say I am building uh, X for India, uh, in most cases when it's a copy paste of X for India, I don't understand why this company would win over the global counterpart. Uh, I think. I'm always looking for that unique insight for the Indian consumer. And that insight could be in the form of uh, that, hey, I don't, our users don't 
really use email and that is why uh, a lot of all the global products work because they are integrated closely with the email systems while our users are not an email our users are more on whatsapp and that's why this should win over the global players or our logistics infrastructure is not as good and in us because the logistics infrastructure is very good it's easier for people to uh, work on work work uh, integrate while while here we need more full stack solutions or uh, or sometimes the argument is that the trust layer in india is broken more because uh, because we are really working with a lot of uh, a lot of small suppliers uh, small smes and, and, and services are not as standardized while in us a lot of those th- things are more standardized uh, so people people perhaps don't need to worry about it but in india that is a it's a very advanced thing uh, the 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 aspect of monetization sometimes in india is very different because in many cases we are not willing to pay for a few things so at the end of the day we are a time rich money poor country and we end up optimizing for money and i know i do that myself so uh, it's not that it's not that uh, only the tier 3 city people or only older people or very people poor very poor people are doing it at the end of the day the way we have grown up we have just been more more cost conscious and and we have not grown up thinking about software as a as a as a thing that we should pay for and and that's a very mindset shift that is happening over time but it will take time and today uh, it's 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 slow so so a lot of these nuances are very true for india market and some of the problems exist because of these things only for india market and uh, and that, and that is why you need to build about build the companies uh, build the companies differently and think about the companies differently i think entrepreneurs differently understand this uh, i i'll not claim to say that i that 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 entrepreneurs i meet don't understand this but i think in in some cases i would advise that this these things need to be articulated better and discussed more for for companies uh, and uh, and and that 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 this is how we'll will will cut cut through the clutter and win in the market i i distinctly remember i distinctly remember uh that uh, for example in an academy's case uh you could have thought that, thought of them as as a youtube channel so why would they win and the like the one question i asked them that that uh, that because uh, because your because internet is not very good in india and it was this was before the geo effect uh, but internet is not very good in india so when you are uh, i distinctly remember i was not able to use netflix then because even with my home's internet netflix was poor quality uh so as i was asking them that how would how would your students look at the videos that you are showing and how would they learn from that because internet is not unreliable and his argument was pretty look closely it's not really a video uh, it is an interlaced version of a slide deck an audio file and a pointer moving and because of that uh, the bandwidth consumption is significantly lower and that is why uh, that is why the customer will have it an expert experience i'm like wow this is the type of thinking that is required uh, for breaking through the clutter and 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 getting that customer love of course over time this is not these things are not needed because over time uh, over time the the bandwidth problem will be solved and and now uh, india is the india is the uh, india is the cheapest uh, high quality internet place in the world but but in those days this was important uh, and and the founder was thinking about it and that i think that that mindset of solving the problem for the consumer deeply and not being an in, a clone of a us product is 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 required and people need to talk about it more openly and and aggressively i like so many elements in that segment that you spoke about building um, you know you spoke about time rich country and money poor country i think that was a wonderful um, highlight and it kind of like also builds to what rahul chandra had mentioned on the podcast a couple of weeks ago where he said the image of middle india is that the consumers are that they're hungry they're downtrodden they have empty pockets and they're way down the chain when it comes to purchasing anything but that's not the ground reality of things you know they are they are the most predictable market when it comes to having income shorter cycles of earning and spending but the ticket sizes are small but the purchasing frequency is a lot more than top tier india and it kind of alludes to some of the points that you made as well now one thing that i'd like to understand here is that when vcs from outside or you know outside lps and people have conversations about investing in middle india or did you have foreign capital that's being pushed into the markets what don't vcs understand about you we spoke about founders but what don't vcs understand about investing in these markets that they should like for example is it really important 
for the founders who are building products for say um, you know newer markets or middle India or building just for um, tier two India any any, any particular um, segment of the country do the founders have to be from that place what or do they not can they be from urban centers and build products for for rural India or vice versa are, are these some of the things that VCs take into consideration so if putting your VC hat on now what don't they get or what do they get better than some of the other VCs who have invested and probably not done a better job you know so I think I think there are two things that VCs who are not based out of India perhaps miss about India consumption market one as you mentioned that Rahul was pointing out that sometimes I hear VCs say that beyond the UK of India, everyone is poor. Everyone is not poor. It's just that their our preferences are very different from the uh, from the from the uh, from the richer people in India. The richer people in India are very closer to what people in the SFR. But after that, our preferences are very different. And that is why it's monetizable, but monetizable in a different way and not in the same way that American companies do. I think that is one thing that people people perhaps uh, people perhaps do not appreciate as well. The second thing people perhaps do not appreciate as well is that it takes longer uh, to build companies in India uh, because of the infrastructure thing, issues. I, in my mind, of course, it will change over time, but till now it has taken significantly longer. And that, that means that quick flips do not happen. We need founders and investors who are more long-term and who are fully wedded uh, to the uh, to the to the to the problem, uh, because then only uh, outside outcomes will be created. So patience is required, both by entrepreneurs and investors. Uh, and uh, and and after after a threshold uh, amount of work has been done, then start, you start seeing riches. Uh, for example, one of our portfolio companies, uh, Pubmatic, uh, we invested in fourteen years back. Uh, the company went through its own cycles, but after 14 years, it has been done a phenomenal IPO. Uh, in my mind, that is, it, it just takes, it just takes that time to build the company. And a lot of fantastic companies in the com- in the in the country right now, uh, Fine Labs and so on. It's it just that all these companies started in a different in a different time, and and sometimes foreign investors expect quick returns. I think I think India will create results. But it takes slightly longer time than that what it takes in America and China. Uh, the I think what what I, I I often say this that being inside India, you sometimes become too deep into a few things, and that actually costs you. Uh, so, for example, uh, as Indian investors, you would always think about, hey, uh, would people pay for food delivery as convenience? Why would people not call them and get them to uh, to get the restaurant to send food? Uh, why I don't eat outside every day. We have cooks, and cooks will make food for us. Uh, or, or we have we uh, most Indians don't like outside food because it's oily and it's not good for health. Unlike unlike global markets where where every day eating outside is actually a habit. So so, we, so sometimes we actually have our biases that a lot of these things will not work in India. Uh, but when you come from outside, it's very easy for you to visualize, hey, it has worked everywhere in the world, it will work in India as well, and, and let's make the market happen. So I sometimes think that 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 foreign investors who do not have India uh, India uh, India office sometimes actually are less biased and more open. And 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 sometimes they do better than us, uh, just because they are not looking at uh, the market from a from a from a deep perspective, they are looking at it from a from at a high level, and it actually works better to look at it at a high level because the details actually lets you uh, the details actually cause more harm to you than help you. Uh, I think I think that's why that's why some of the some of the invest, global investors have done better uh, in a few cases uh, than than a lot of us. That's a very good point because you know they often say this sometimes too much information can also be hazardous. And it often clouds your judgment because now you have so much information in front of you that you don't really know what to pick and from what to pick and choose, and and your yes. confirmation biases kick in at that point, and your eyes only go yes. to something that you want to validate. Uh, that's a very yes. good point that you made. Now I want to move into my last segment, which is you know investing in up and coming sectors in India, and you know we touched upon this at the at the earlier stage where we spoke about bottoms up investing. Now when you are looking into newer sectors and you're identifying newer sectors. 
what are things that need that really need to stand out to you is it things that you're hearing from the industry from the market where you're getting a lot of signals let's just take for in, for instance say gaming i mean it's not an, it probably i don't know if you invest or you don't but gaming has been something that's you know seen a lot of tailwind because of covid but gaming as an industry has existed for the last 20 25 years or maybe even beyond that if you go back and count the 70s as nira where you know atari and all of these also were you know really creating the industry from about 30 40 years ago but to take just i'm just taking that as an example we take gaming do you validate your thesis in in a similar way where you're going to build out a bottoms up approach or it's going to be a top down in this in, from this perspective how do you go about when you look at new sectors that that have kind of caught your attention yeah so i think you know guys it's uh, so the way it would happen uh, is that you would meet the founder and you'd organically ask the questions that you have about the space and it's a new space mm-hmm. and the founder will explain his hypothesis and how we would try and mitigate some of those risks mm-hmm. the founder of course whatever we had thought of the almost surely the founder would have thought all that and would have a point of view on that so in many cases that helps us understand and correct our point of view and founder is perhaps one of the one of the better experts in the space almost surely because that's why he's he's giving his life and 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 trying to trying to start a company in that space trying to solve that problem so so almost surely it's not about feedback from the from experts mm-hmm. almost surely it's about learning from the founder and talking to the consumers so once you understand the from founder i think best thing to do is talk to 15 20 customers and get into the details of their motivation i actually always think that when you call the customer and ask ask five why's to them it becomes very very clear on why the market is changing now why it was very different for example uh, in gaming uh, when i was doing uh, when i was doing when i was trying to do my research what i did was i would identify like if someone is saying that hey i'm building i'm building a game better than this global game and this is more indian and and that's why people are loving it i would just give that give that new game to to 20 30 people i know and i would just call those guys and typically these would be younger than me right but typically a lot of these games are built for kids and i would call them and ask uh why would you think this game is better than that game mm-hmm. and based on the nuances when you ask them when you ask them five why you will understand that the motivation is is either better game play or better uh, or better uh, uh, or better uh, social features or, or 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 sometimes it's just easier to use on your uh, on 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 a, on a on a not so high quality phone and so on but but it's very very apparent when you talk to kids uh, or in in some sense the real users on what right. is happening and then it's easier to take the bet of course we will miss out on a few things and we will take a few wrong calls but that framework has done better for me do not i actually think that talking to experts in most cases hurts you because experts have their fixed perspective and experts are not evolving as much as founders as are users or customers are, are. right uh, so it's just more better to it's just better to talk to customer users and and founders and not talk to experts fair that's a very good point that you make because i use gaming as an example but another good example here would have been any company that's trying to build a product for kids between the ages of 0 to 9 i mean clearly you and i mm-hmm. are not between that age 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 range yeah. it's very difficult to yeah. even go to experts in that case but you have to go to yeah. users in that point of view and find out as to what's working and what's not working and sometimes you know you get those insights from usage from metrics from some of the data but then going and speaking to users kind of give you gives you a more ground reality of 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 that thing and then you and i'm guessing after that you kind of go out and build a thesis if you want to and if not you take it from a case to case perspective as well from an investment standpoint perfect makes sense okay perfect now that you know we we covered these three sectors that i wanted to kind of cover on 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 this episode and in the interest of time i want to jump into my last segment and you know we can probably use this as you know for the first part and we all have you back in like 6 months time where we can actually build on top of this so it gives a good sort of framework for me as well to have a 6 month period and probably some of these questions if i ask you them in 6 months time your answers might be a little more different because of the experience that you've you've had in 6 6 months so my last segment is a rapid fire it's fairly simple i'm going to shoot some questions at you and i want to understand more about your investor persona 
So I want to shoot this first question at you, which is, you know, as somebody who sits and looks at startups on a day-to-day basis and, you know, has interactions with other VCs, what are, what's one thing that you wish Indian venture capital did better than it currently does? Yeah, I think, uh, I think the ecosystem is evolving in the right direction uh, and we are taking bolder steps. I think if you ask this question to me a couple of years back, I would have said that we are too reliant on a few pockets of capital mm-hmm. on late stage investment. And right. that would mean that effectively uh, those three, four, five guys are deciding what categories will get developed in India and what would not. Uh, but I would argue last two years have been phenomenal that way. There are a lot of high quality private equity funds, high quality, uh, high quality uh, non-American and non-Chinese investors have mm-hmm. started to invest in India. Uh, and we have got a more diversified capital pool at late stages, uh, which is which is great. I think I think one thing we could have done uh, better as a firm, as a as a as a country, uh, and as a as a venture ecosystem, is that we could have been more we could have been more uh, efficient uh, in terms of company building. I mm-hmm. think uh, if you if you look at if you look at the amount of money that it took to build all the large uh, all the large uh, uh, unicorns that we have. Mm-hmm. It is significantly larger than it took to build similar companies anywhere else in the world. I think we have been more cost inefficient, and, and the reason for that perhaps is 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 more people, uh, more people starting companies in similar spaces, and more investors funding the same spaces. So, so all the money went went in in financing the customer and and uh, uh, financing the customer discounts, and effectively got uh, got 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 negated. Uh, but but I think we have we have truly been more inefficient. Mm-hmm. especially on uh, especially on verticals other than other than uh, saas and uh, and education uh, but uh, but 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 hey that that helped us that helped us, that helped us get to a critical point and now we are seeing companies being built more efficiently it put us on the map you know it's a very good point that you bring up because initially the com- companies that you know were unicorns were very copycat models and therefore, when though when when their you know their, their original competitors entered the country, we had to yes. finance them so that we could at least go head to head. Otherwise, we would have been eaten up as smaller yes. companies, domestic startups in that yes. in that space. You take any yes. of the ones, Flipkart's or the Olas or anybody that we yes. that that can have gone head to head with the global competitors. And that's a good point that you bring yes. up. You know, we a lot of money was spent into financing that. But today. I'm very glad that we have, you know, the Mishos of the world or the Postmans or the Udans of the world that are coming in and really changing and defined categories by themselves. And I think we'll see more of that. Yes. Now, as an investor today, what risks are you willing to take and what are you not willing to take? Yeah, I'm willing to take, uh, I'm truly willing to take market risk because I think market evolves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and uh, and the founders typically creates the market, and uh, and for you to imagine the market prime of AC is not as straightforward. Uh, I'm willing to take that risk. I'm willing to take monetization risk because I believe that when you reach to a large distribution stage, then in some categories monetization is easier, mm-hmm. and and lots of companies in the portfolio that I have uh, are are phenomenal companies in my mind. Because because everything else is figured, the customer love is there, the distribution is there, uh, growth is there, and monetization is a risk that I'm willing to take, which will be figured out uh, in the next two, three, four years. Uh, the risk I'm not willing to take is the founder risk. Mm-hmm. I think uh, founder is the biggest asset for the investment, yeah. and I don't think I'm I'm willing to take the risk that I'm not all in on the founders. Uh, life is too short. Uh, it's best to work with the founders that I really, really want to work with. Right. And, uh, and, and, it's, and that's when the, that I, I, I actually say this, uh, I actually said this when I was uh, winning a competitive, competitive deal um, where uh, I do not invest in a lot of companies uh, in terms of the number of companies I invest in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number of companies uh, as a firm we invest in is less than six, seven a year, eight a year, right. uh, which is very different compared to other VC firms. Uh, uh, and and I actually said this to a founder once that 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 is not yet another investment for me. This is not yet another deal. Uh, you'll be the deal for the deal of the year for me. You'd be a close friend, and 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 I'll be working with you over the next decade. Uh, do you want to work with the with, with the guy who would be all in with you forever, or do you want to be yet another logo in a in a portfolio of 500 companies? 
um, and uh, and I think I think I I I want to take I do not want to take founder risk. I want to work with the founders who 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 I'm totally totally uh, full uh, full committed fully committed on, and uh, and I know I want to work with the guy for the next decade, and uh, and 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 there's a there's a spark and magical relationship. I think that's a that. that's that's the thing I I don't want to take risk on. I love that because I was having a conversation with a VC here who who shall remain un, unnamed in in the US, and he's not married. And I was talking to him, and I didn't know this. And the conversation came up, and I said, "What do you are, are you married?" And he's like, "Yeah, I am married. I'm married to my founders." And I said, "Could you elaborate uh-huh. on that?" And he said the similar thing where he said, "It's a long term relationship that I'm with. I'm with them. You know, I'm not in it for the short haul. We are later stage investors. We will continue being with these guys." and i want to be married to my founders and i want to see them through yeah. it's a 10 15 year commitment and sometimes it's more than the average span of marriages if you take if we're talking from a us perspective we were discussing that he said it's it's more than the average number of years that people are married in the united states so i am with my founders for longer than that so it is like a marriage for me so i am married to all my founders that was a very beautiful line and kind of resonated very similarly to what you said yes completely agree fantastic and uh, last couple of questions you know what are the core economic economics of venture capital that entrepreneurs don't get that need to understand and your advice to them hmm i think mean, this is a very fair question and i i would have said this on multiple forums because i truly believe that where i meet entrepreneurs who are not really building venture friendly businesses hmm. i explain to them why that this business is not venture friendly so so a vc firm that is of say uh, say 300 million dollars in size mm-hmm. for them to be half good or like in the top in the top half good uh, firms you need to be you need to return at least 750 900 million dollars right for you to return 700 million dollars uh, in general after you have put in uh, after you have put in a few uh, rounds of capital and then then someone else puts in more capital you get diluted uh, so you would end up keeping 15 20% in the company not more than that so after you have kept 15 20% and you have to return 750 million dollars that means the sum total of the of the companies that you are investing in the aggregate valuation has to be of the order of 7 10 7 to 10 billion dollars right 7 to 10 billion dollar aggregate valuation when you know that majority of the companies will fail can only come if your company is large enough mm-hmm. because majority of my companies will have to fail because that's the nature of the business because right. we are taking risks in terms of uh, in terms of uh, in terms of market and idea and so on right so it almost surely uh, almost surely for however good you might however good investor you might be uh, you have to if you're not if your companies are not failing then almost surely you're not taking enough risks right uh, and 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 for that to happen that means that my best companies should at least return uh, give back to me uh, the money in the order of the fund size and i since uh, i sometimes keep the bar in india lower but but i i say that that for the minimum of fund the company should be at least valued at 3 400 million dollars uh, for me to have to for me to move the uh, move the needle for the firm and not all companies are that type mm-hmm. uh, so they are great businesses uh, and and you will make a lot of money but not all businesses are venture friendly and uh, and i sometimes advise the entrepreneurs Uh, that 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 you should you should perhaps not be talking to any VC. Uh, maybe maybe angel investors are good because they, they you would give them three x four x five x return, but you will not burn a lot of capital, right. and the outcome might not be very high. So it might not be a fit for a VC firm. Uh, so and in general, I think I think people should people should think about it that that from a successful outcome, the VC should make uh, money in the order of the uh, order of the fund size, and that is why. ownership is actually important for the vc firm uh, of course but it's also important for the entrepreneur so entrepreneur should also in many cases i advise the entrepreneur that you should not give me 4% 5% equity you should actually give me more equity mm-hmm. uh, because if i have 4-5% equity then you are not incentivizing the vc enough uh, it's important for you to put in enough to to have the vc have enough stake in the game that he is he is working with you full uh, with full commitment and his career is on the line right. and he wants to make you successful uh, when the vc is owning small percentage in the company then almost surely he is putting in small amounts of capital and he is not incentivized enough so and and the and the founder should create their cap table 
with VCs who are willing to take to take bold bets and be all in in the companies. I think that's a fantastic point that you made, especially building cap table. That is an art in itself, and you know it's not often spoken about in the Indian context. But I'm glad you brought it up. I'm glad that's one thing that founders need to understand today that there needs to be enough stake and skin in the game for VCs to be involved. So while diluting their equity share and building out their cap table, they really need to keep in mind how these VCs can add value, especially if you want to go out and build a venture backable business and if you don't that's a different gear, uh, question altogether but if you do you got to understand these core economics and that's fantastic that you brought that up i mean this has been such an enriching conversation for me and we only highlighted three things and we segmented it into three categories but from those three i think there's so much insights that's come out and really gives me an understanding of how you think and also a lot of insights about the indian ecosystem so thank you so much for sharing all the thoughts and concerns as well as insight about the industry with me here today on the podcast thank you akash it was a pleasure uh, for me and i enjoyed a lot so and look forward to having this conversation again in 6 months and that brings us to the end of this week's episode thank you so much pratik for kicking us off with a beautiful episode and sharing all of the insights on products versus platforms building for india and letting us know a little bit more about what sectors you're bullish on in the coming year If you're like me and enjoyed that episode as well, please go ahead and rate and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting app. Tune back again next week because we've got some fantastic guests as I previously mentioned. Some of them leading VCs who you might be very familiar with and some of them who've just launched their funds and are emerging managers themselves. It's an action-packed season and we've got fantastic investors willing to share their insights about this diverse ecosystem with each and every one of you and i'm super thrilled about everything that we have lined up for this year and until next week keep hustling everybody we look forward to 2021 it's going to be a great year for all of us cheers